Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Hello, England. Hello. Oh, there you are. I was wondering what that noise was. Hello, Alan. How are you? I'm good. I'm beaming to you across the interweb and uh, excited to be here for another episode of Homo Sapiens with a fabulous, <sighs> fabulous guest. My little teenage boy inside is absolutely freaking out about who our guest is this week. Mine too. And, <laughs> you know, we're doing a bit of a theme about trailblazers and sweet, gentle Jesus. Is this person a trailblazer, wouldn't you say? Wow. Just, yeah, an incredible woman and incredible rocker. And when you imagine, well, what you hear in the interview about some of the things she had to put up with and uh, and uh, the situations that she found herself in and the grace with which she mm. dealt with them all. It's Debbie Harry, ladies and gentlemen, is our guest this week. Woo, woo. That was the words of someone who announces people often. That was very, it's Debbie, ladies and gentlemen, it's Debbie Harry. Yeah, it's I like Oprah, it. Debbie Harry. <laughs> you get a car, you get a car. <laughs> yeah, and it was so great to talk to her, actually, and uh, just a sweetheart, wasn't she, darling? And we talked to her really early she in the was. morning as well, which was kind of crazy, and, I, and she, yeah. was, she was just in sparkling form. Yeah, and her image of like this incredible trailblazer, there you go, and the things she's been around and the people she has hung around for all these years, and... Yet she's just this really sweet, humble person who there was no. There's, she does this really sweet thing whenever you ask her a question. She sort of puts her head to the side, considers it, yeah, and gives you the yeah, answer. I know. Like, so really gentle, actually. Yeah, she is very gentle. Be- I've always thought that about her. I've you know met her over the years. And did I tell you the time that when she came to see Macbeth? No. And she came back. She came backstage after I was in Macbeth, and she kind of like came up to me and kind of. Did, did this weird thing with my hand and I was like, oh, what's she doing? And she kind of... Was she trying to pickpocket you? <laughs> sort of. What she, she <laughs> stuffed up my sleeve oh. uh, a blondie uh, shirt, like one of those sort of... Are they called basketball shirts or baseball shirts? You know, it's like the sleeves are a different colour to the, oh, the middle of it. Is it Raglan? Is it the Raglan? Raglan? Oh, is that what it is? I never know. She I gave me know. A, like an original blondie um, thing with her face on it and it's oh, it's it's like one of my That's most so prized sweet. possessions so why did you sell it on ebay then alan <laughs> <laughs> times is old mr sweeney um but uh no i always want to wear it because i to say to people guess who gave me this but and then i'm really i don't want to wear it because i want to keep it forever it's a conundrum <laughs> um should we go and have a listen to debbie harry and her incredibleness there was a period, Debbie, when you had a stalker. Is that right? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't mean to brag, but, you know, I've had, <laughs> I've had a few. <laughs> and were they serious? Yeah. 
I don't think anybody ever meant to do me harm. Uh, I think that, you know, it's just some kind of infatuation. Yeah. That became, you know, went out of hand, out of frustration. And I, I actually tried to, uh, you know, communicate and try to, you know, create some kind of understanding that was more on a human level than, you know, this uh, entity that, you know, was uh, mm. seemingly untouchable and, you know, entertainment world. So How'd that go? Sometimes it worked. Yeah, it did. Sometimes it worked. It worked. Of course, in- fascinating about uh, stalkers is it's by no means confined to famous people. Like no, every, lots of people no. have stalkers. It's not. It's actually not connected to fame. No, it's uh, it's about just a, it's an obsession. An obsession. And I, how was yours resolved? Did you have to get legal things or? You know, I think they they resolved in different ways depending on uh, the person. I understand, you know, I understand kind of uh, that kind of weird passion and just try to uh, try to deal with it. You know, my partner, Chris, for some reason, I don't know, uh, he's got a very sort of psychedelic mind. And, um, you know, (laughs) he's really great at communicate communicating. So I I think between the two of us, we uh, have, you know, sort of managed to. I don't know. I I, I can't really say that uh, I was afraid physically at mm-hmm. any point. And I think that that makes a big mm-hmm. difference. Yes, totally. Um, changing the subject, Debbie, I wanted to go back to the beginning and ask you about when you first... Was it when you first went to New York and you saw the New York Dolls? And that's when you kind of fell in love and knew you wanted to be in a band. Is that right? Oh, well, I think that that sort of re-engaged me. I think I had uh, sort of started it years before and had done a band or two and some recording and then sort of got fed up with the uh, the complexities of the business and uh, a couple other things compounded my, uh, my flight <laughs> and <laughs> I flew away. And then, uh, you know, I uh, suddenly had the urge. It sort of never left me. You know, I sort of was always thinking, oh, you know, you should do a band. You should, you know, get back into it. And then um, I guess, you know, when I was ready, I did. And uh, the, the dolls were probably a big part of it because I really enjoyed uh, I enjoyed their parties. They had great really? parties, too. I guess mm-hmm. I'm a party girl. But there was something <laughs> about their aesthetic, which was so kind of queer, wasn't it? And it was so extraordinary. Oh, yeah. And I wondered if you connected with that as well oh absolutely i don't know i I guess i i believe in uh self-expression and freedom and and theater and so you know that that sort of played into all of it plus the music you know i mean in that particular uh circumstance but uh you know i what i really miss in new york city is uh you know rarely do you see a street person in Mm -hmm. costume Mm. these days and mm. I, I've always appreciated that and wondered about these people. I mean, there was a time when you could actually, you know, stop and, and talk to people. It was always fascinating to me that they had so much, uh, so much, I don't know, uh, such diverse and interesting kinds of lives. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it wasn't always, you know, dictated by, by sexuality, but I think it, it was dictated by, a freedom of, of sexuality, a freedom of choice and, uh, you know, sort of an experimental thing. And I, I think that in some ways that experimental attitude, 
has uh, returned uh, in some small degree or perhaps in a large degree because, I mean, I don't have children. I don't really hang around with kids, but I think kids in a way really take it for granted Mm -hmm. now. Yeah, I think there's a whole different, well, I mean, they've grown up in an era with so much more information available to them. And that fluid thing. Yeah, and that fluid thing and so much less judgment as well. Is that your dog, by the way, Chris, or is that your dog, Debbie? Oh, I don't know. I have four of them. For once, it's not my dog. Was there a dog? Yeah, it's a dog. I yeah, I tune, I tune them out now. See, that's that's really bad. I just tune them out. They're always barking and carrying on. Oh, it's the only way forward. <laughs> no, my dog is actually silent at my feet for the first time in his life. Oh wow! I'm just worried about Lala's going to come down here and she'll be all excited because of her about to get her breakfast oh, and funny. then she'll start wanting to make sweet love to my leg. Whilst... Um, one of the things that so struck me when I first discovered you Debbie was like a I suppose a certain kind of feminine energy in let's say rock and roll or or punk that I had not always connected with a lot of rock and roll and punk because it was very straight and very masculine and I always find there's this kind of dissonance between it's a very accepting place People can be different, but also in a way it is quite heteronormative, very straight. You know, like the guys are there, but then they have the groupies who are the women who adore the men. And I wondered what it was actually like at that time and if it did feel open Mm. and liberal or if it felt quite patriarchal. Well, uh, I I think it was very patriarchal in in terms of, uh, you know, the climbing Mm. the ladder, as it were. But the overall broad sweep of the people that were involved, it was definitely uh, ex- expanding. And I, at that time, I actually felt that the next really big, uh, I mean, not to say that there weren't gay you know, stars and leaders, but I, I really felt that the next explosion would really be you know, that particular mm. thing, that, that it would be the, the gay stars, as it were. Uh, but out, you know, yeah. everybody yeah. out. And yeah. it always, if it was sort of glam rock adjacent, a bit like Elton, that would work. But it's still today, yeah. even, there aren't that many rock stars, male rock stars who are, you know, gay or queer or, or ambiguous, I suppose. It's quite interesting. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, rock is sort of, you know, suffering uh, in the marketplace and in the industry. So um, there's that to be taken, uh, you know, into. Why do you think that is? Uh, it, it just has gone to rap. It's gone to rap and, oh, to, and to pop. But uh, I think, it, you know, I'd be curious to know, you know, how many uh, rap artists are actually closeted, mm. you know. Um I can't believe that it's all such a macho thing. Well, there's there's a guy called Lil Nas X, who is a rapper who came out as gay recently. And and that felt like a great moment, you know, that it was right. right. He was taking a risk at saying this is who I am, you know, and and that's so hard when you've got people I you know I don't know what his specific circumstances are but if it's if it's not happened before people are going to say hey hey you know you're risking your career here yes yeah you know I read a thing about you like you said you and Susie Sue and was it Patty Smith you felt that you were these warriors at, at that time in in music and were kind of like these Amazons kind of having like the most power a woman had had 
in that sort of environment. And I wonder what that must have been quite scary as well as being quite empowering, mm. was it? Well, oddly, I felt that, um, I, I don't know, I, I maybe I'm uh, just dreaming, but I always felt that Patty and, and uh, Chrissy and myself had a certain uh, masculine, um, I would say drive, a masculine drive and a masculine I, I wasn't really, I was sort of happy to, you know, feel that I had that as well as a, a, a component, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I've never really been mad or angry with men. Oh, I have. Other than wanting to uh, slap them every once in a while. <laughs> you know, I think that the, the system is sort of, uh, you know, it's slow, but it, it has really outlived a lot of its uh, usefulness. And you know, we are just, um, I don't know, we're evolving. It's funny to, to be able to evolve so publicly. And so, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's uh, it's never, I mean, come on, has this ever happened before? Do you mean the no. sort of gender fluid thing? The gender fluid thing and the fact that, you know, we're all so connected and we're all so yeah. exposed and we are willing to be exposed and, uh, you know, everybody's encouraged to share and uh, it's very powerful. Mm-hmm. One thing that Alan and I talk about quite a lot on this podcast is the idea of bi erasure. You know, Alan is bisexual, but often is referred to as a gay man. And people often refer to like gay periods in people's lives rather than saying, well, actually, that person is bisexual, you know, and it's something that really gets up Alan's nose, as I discovered firsthand. Um, and, <laughs> and <laughs> don't fuck with me, Chris Sweeney. <laughs> Amen to that. Um, okay. <laughs> but I know that there have been periods in your life where you have identified as bisexual or or have you and have you felt the need to qualify it or have you always felt that it's journalists doing that for you well no I, I always felt entitled you know and I don't think that that's a really feminine characteristic mm-hmm. um except for you know in, in certain ways certain uh levels of society I think a, a lot of women feel they're entitled but mm-hmm. um I always felt uh, entitled to you know be the man I always wanted to be, <laughs> I love that. and uh, you know, and, and working as I as I did in a band with all guys, you know, I I really had to employ an aggressiveness that perhaps I, I wouldn't have in, in other situations, um, and uh, I don't know that that sort of that. Well, this was natural, you know, that I I. Uh, it's just a matter of intelligence to me. I don't even know that it has to do with, you know, sexuality. Sexuality is such a, almost kind of a nebulous mm. thing in a way. Um, you know, and it means so, it's so different for mm. each person. Totally. I just want to just run out and get some hormone shots. I'll see you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Comedy timing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I always say, Sexuality is like uh, going on holiday, going on vacation. You don't always want to go to the mm. same place all the time. <laughs> yes. I, it, for me, it has to do with, you know, fascination and, and crush, crushes and um, sort of like a magnetic mm. thing. Yeah. And uh, whatever, you know, whoever it is, you know, I've had crushes on all, all different kinds of people, all different sexes. And, 
you know, some of them have come to fruition and others haven't. <laughs> so You've um, got to kiss a lot of frogs. I love a good yeah. crush. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love a crush. Yeah. Me too. I just think having a crush is great. I read this thing this morning that said, it said gay culture is spending 72 intense hours with someone, telling them all your secrets and then never seeing them again. <laughs> oh. oh my God. Whoa. Which does account wow. for a lot of my 20s. Does it? That's like that film. Have you seen that film, Weekend? Oh, I love it. Have you seen it, Debbie? It's this film. uh, It's a British weekend. And it's about two gay guys and they meet and they have this very amazing connection. And, you know, they meet in a bar or something. And then one of them's leaving to go away and live somewhere else. And and he invites the other one to his going away party. And it's just this sort of one of those sort of, you know, like, you you know, that thing you can fall in love with someone in a night. Mm -hmm. And then, and then you sort of, you know, what could, all these possibilities could happen. And then you realize, oh, he's leaving forever. And so it's just this incredible sort of set of circumstances. I thought it was really good. I really loved that film. Amazing film. And this boy, Chris, uh, who was, Chris knew, who was, who was one of the, one of the boys, he was in Bent with me at uh, the, on the West End uh, about 15 years ago. Oh, talking of theater. I remember one time we chatted at an event and you'd just done your first play. And I remember you saying to the words to the effect that, gosh, you know, it was so an, such an incredible experience for you that you thought maybe you'd done the wrong career. Maybe you, you sort of felt that you'd found your thing. <laughs> Is, do you still feel that? Uh, I, I guess I was really swept up in the moment or yeah. the, uh, the energy of the time. Um, but I don't know. You've done music. You've yes. done both. Yes. Right? Yeah. So, uh you know, I, I think in a, in a in a way, uh, dramatically, it's easier to do music because you have that swell that comes with the the feeling of the music, mm-hmm. and so. But uh, to be totally intellectual and and having to dredge that out of you as an actor, I mean, it's a it's a little bit harder, isn't it? Yeah, I think as as well. It's there's also the thing of I think there's a bigger connection in a play and things like that as a, as a performer, because it's not so episodic. You know what I mean? Like I feel it when you sing a song that it comes to the end of that little thing and you feel something, you felt something whilst you're doing it. Then you go move into another thing. Whereas sometimes the sweep of a play, the whole evening and the whole experience you've gone through with an audience, that's very intoxicating. And I think something that you don't always get in music. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Do you think that there is a line to be drawn with um, the idea of the way that performing music and singing and the way that acting is about immersion in a character that is 
the link between them is about taking a break from yourself. Like I always find that I think that the things that enable you to get out of your head for a while, like singing or for me, it's directing because it's very intense and that's what I do as a job that it is that's the appeal of them that's often why actors are good singers and songwriters and vice versa because it's about the exit from yourself for a brief moment oh i think it's a tremendous relief yeah to uh and and that's one of the things that i i sort of like about acting because i'm my own director uh in a band and when i take a part Mm. uh or you know it, it is uh i share a responsibility and uh, I take direction, which uh, at first I, I I responded with a, a little bit of anger, unfortunately. <laughs> but I think that's fear, yeah. you know, and yeah. get, throwing the controls away. And, um, you know, but then uh, I, I got I sort of got into it. I felt very comfortable. And I have to say, you know, I haven't done a lot of it like, like you, Alan. But, you know, I've worked with some very wonderful, strange directors and I, I love that. I love it. Like who? Which ones? Well, I mean, from uh, Isabel Corset to uh, John Waters. Oh, of course. <laughs> that's right. You did... Um, Hairspray. Hairspray, of course. Yeah. To, to Cronenberg. I mean... Oh, it's, wow. It's, it's, Cronenberg it's, too, my God. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty uh, you know, I, I feel very fortunate, you know. Remember we were in that film together, but we weren't in any scenes together when you were the mermaid. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, what was that like? Because you, you played a mermaid, a lady in a mermaid sort of park. You know, I, I remember that. But, you know, I've done so many little stupid uh, cameo roles like that, that it's all become, uh, I don't know, I, I sort of choose to forget <laughs> yes you know which pr- probably isn't a good idea but <laughs> no i think sometimes it is and what's the thing where chris told me earlier that you you bought the rights to alphaville from um... <laughs> oh yeah so you bought them from jean-luc goddard oh. and then they weren't his to sell to you is that true <laughs> no, no, it was how much did you pay him <laughs> did you like give him loads of cash oh. and then you were like oops i mean we didn't realize or know that you know he didn't own them for many years so we just carried on like, you know, we were doing this project and so on and so forth. But, uh, you know, we were busy. So we never, I mean, we I, it would have taken a whole lot to get that off the ground. But it, it's still uh, it's still an idea, you know. It still hasn't uh, sort of died a death. It's, it's Did he give you weird. your money so who's got the rights then? Yeah, what? I think that's... We're like consumer <laughs> consumer council here. Did you Alan get your money back? Alan focuses on the creative. I focus on the money. You'll note. I'm like, where'd the money go? <laughs> it was an expensive luncheon. Let's put it that way. <laughs> the other thing I was thinking about is that when we were talking about getting out of yourself, and uh, I was saying this to Alan, that don't you think it's weird how I think the reason people take drugs is because it's a break from yourself, from whatever turmoil there is within yourself. You do some drugs. And you experience for a, for a small moment, you don't have to be going through that. And because drugs are illegal and deemed bad and all of those things, we don't actually look into that in a medical sense at all. And all these people who are particularly in the queer world have issues with drugs. The only answer, there is no other alternative answer, which actually if people were feeling these bad feelings, let's say, therapy and things would really help and mean that you wouldn't have to get involved in that oh yeah i think therapy would is a terrific uh, terrific way to go 
I recommend it highly. I, you know, I, I I don't think you have to be in therapy forever. Uh, I think you have to be willing to uh, really take a good look and uh, identify things about yourself and about your your history, your personal history. And I, I'm still discovering mm. things. I, you know, it's it's kind of fascinating. Once you once you allow yourself to, you know, uh, put the pieces together, really put them together, and and not you know not some kind of fantasy, you know, something that really uh, reaches you know reaches some kind of core place, especially for for gay people, you know, who have to go through so much, uh, so much rejection, and to uh, you know, have self-esteem and to have self-love is it's a terrible challenge. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I think it's worth the fight, you know, but it is a fight. It's a fight. Doing the therapy. Yeah. Yeah. But, but also I think, you know, I have some issue with your thing, uh, Chris. Mm. Don't think it all has to be turmoil. No, 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 no. You know, fun is is a really good thing. I'm all for it. Yeah. Unfortunate thing about, you know, some of the uh, habitual, you know, drugs that, that become habitual um, physically, you know, they're, they're not fun at the end. Mm. You know, they become unfun. And, uh, you, you mean know, like that, that, uh, heroin or coke or those things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, getting getting out of that, you know, that syndrome or that, you know, terrible routine, you know, it becomes very difficult. But it's also... Um, uh, enlightening, you know, yeah. getting getting out of yourself and also getting out of a, a routine, you know, that, that has become, you know, toxic physically mm. and mentally, yeah. you know, and and we we can do it, but it, it's a ball buster. You did heroin. Was that what you were addicted to for a wee while? I did, yeah. And I'm always curious about if it was, like, I was talking, like, I love smoking. I don't smoke because it's bad for you and I've got asthma and everything. But the sensation of smoking, the sensual thing of the smoking in your body and you're blowing it out like i really like that and if it weren't bad for you i would totally be doing it right now mm. and like i see when you see old films and they're smoking constantly i'm so jealous but i you know I've, at some point made it had a realization made a conscious decision not to have that in my life but i always wonder if people feel like that about heroin because everyone says you know it's actually amazing and you have these great thoughts and it's this incredible mind expanding or illuminating in many ways and i wonder how you feel about looking back on your heroin days do you do you ever miss it oh no i don't miss it now i think uh there was a time you know when i had conquered sort of a uh a daily uh a daily dose you know when i really had to have it uh-huh. that uh you know after you know I, I was able to get away from that but there was a i think uh Oh, at least a couple of years when I thought, oh, I'd really like to, you know, get off. Um, but now I just, I don't know, you know, I, I, the thing that really helped me was that, you know, it became so unpleasant, you know, the routine of having to go and cop and then, you know, to get high and then to run out of drugs and, and to feel shitty and then mm. to have to go through the whole routine again. Uh, the thing that, you know, sort of helped me was that I was able to uh, envision or, you know, vis- visualize physically that, um, okay, well, what's going to happen with this? And I was, you know, I would take myself through the whole progression of, you know, getting high, 
um, feeling great and then slowly coming down and then, you know, feeling bad. And uh, I just got tired of it. It just became so awful to realize that I was going to end up, you know, (laughs) in a day or two feeling like, you know, garbage. So was there was there a day you remember that you wanted to stop that cycle? Uh, no, I think it was, a, you know, a, a gradual uh, enlightening, mm. I suppose. Yeah. And were you were you, were you were you all through this time? Were you were you like a functioning addict? You're working and you're performing and all that. Or was it a, a, what, what time in your life was this? I think I, I was always uh, functioning. But, you know, oddly, I, I never really um, I never really did drugs while I was doing Blondie. Uh, everybody uh, really thought I was. <laughs> Because uh, the guys, the guys in the band did a lot of blow, and I never really liked blow. Right. So, um, you know, everybody, everybody just assumed that I was a big pothead, and I did a lot of blow, and I did a lot of drinking. But uh, really, I was such a little angel; it was sickening. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't have, I don't have the, uh, I don't know. I, I I saw this tragic uh, video of uh, Amy Winehouse. Oh you god, know, that film so recently, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, you know, it just breaks my heart. I could cry right now because uh, you know what what a wonderful wonderful musician, mm-hmm. and just uh, so sad that it went like that. But yes. um, you know, I, I I could never get up on stage and and be out mm-hmm. of control. Right. So that that was my that was my deal. A control yeah. freak, after all. There you are. <laughs> no, I, you know, I'm just, I, I, aren't we all? <laughs> oh, yes. I guess so, yes. I mean, I think sometimes people mistake your an aura or a sensibility that you have or an energy you have. And I also, again, I think it's this ability to let go that sometimes people mistake that for that you're out of, you're out of control or you're a, yes. you're a hot mess. Well, you have to be one or the other, which is silly. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's like sexuality. It's like, again, the same sort of everybody wants to box you in. It's a spectrum. Yeah. You have always been so progressive and inclusive and at the forefront of so many things. And I read this line that you said, you weren't content with being a white middle-class girl. And And do you, in light of the fact that the world is finally catching up with the Black Lives Matter movement and how much is stacked against people of colour. When you, when you said that statement and the, there was white in the statement, were you always aware of that from being a kid, of that injustice? Oh, yes, I think I was, yeah. And I, I, I sort of was appalled and I, I really hated the uh, sort of what I said earlier about the, the sense of entitlement, mm. you know, that, that was really completely thoughtless and completely incorrect. And, uh, you know, you have to you have to earn you have to earn it, you know. And, I, and that's one of the things that I really, really I, I didn't didn't like as a, as a girl growing up in an in a, a all white community. And um, I don't know why I knew that, but I knew that. Mm. And. I don't know. I, I guess I had some good history teachers because when I was, I remember when I was a little girl in school and I uh, was taught about, you know, what was going on with the races and the civil war and, and why, you know, all of that, you know, with slavery. And uh, it was very upsetting to me, very, very upsetting. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I sort of, I, I sort of couldn't deal with that, you know, and that, that sort of really shaped me. 
And uh, I think that, you know, I was given a bigger perspective because my parents were a bit worldly, you know, and uh, mm. so that, that was also, you know, beneficial mm. to me. That's interesting because in the, in the last season of this, we spoke to Patty Smith and she was talking oh. about her family and her mum was a jazz singer and she said that she would come, they would, she would go to their house and there'd be like, you know, gay people and drag queens and different people, different races. And she had a very um, kind of, uh, you know, diverse set of friends and Patty was exposed to all those things at such an early age. Yeah. So maybe it's a New Jersey thing. <laughs> well, no, my parents were very conservative, but they gave uh, they gave a lot of uh, lip mm. service to the right thing. Uh-huh. Though uh, my in, in my sheltered little world, it was not like that. So it was a real sort of uh, schizophrenic, you know, separation of you know what truth is and and what reality is, and uh, so that 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 mm. so, so it it worked, it, you know, so it sort it of worked. Yeah. Um, I've got one a question I want to ask you. I'm I'm always fascinated by things people have done before they became the did the things that they're known for. Like uh-huh. when, before I went to drama school, I worked in the fiction department of a publishing house and I wrote the horoscopes for a newspaper. Uh, yeah. And today <laughs> Uranus is back in blah, blah. And now it would be a good time to wash those windows. <laughs> um, but uh, I uh, was heard about you that you were a typist at the BBC. Yeah. Is that true? Is that true? Yes, How true. the hell? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, fascinating, uh, right? Yeah. I worked for, I worked in radio. BBC Radio. Funny. In New York? Yeah. And what did you do? Well, I worked for the head of radio programming. Her name was Lillian Lang, which I always thought was like a movie star's name. Yeah. And um, she was, she was very well known in the, in the business and she was a head of American women in radio. And uh, what they did that was, you know, they had people coming in to do the international broadcasts uh, and, um, Alistair Cook and and oh wow, know, people like that. Malcolm Muggeridge, I think. Was oh my name. god! Yeah, all these you know these journalist types that there are you know stars really. Yeah. And um, they also had a very small uh, television studio in, in there. And uh, uh, Cassius Clay came in before he was wow. Muhammad Ali. Wow. And uh, he was so gorgeous. Oh, he really my was. God. Oh my wow. god! Easy I'll on the I'll never eye. forget that. I'll never forget that. Oh. And so you and you did and you were typing. I was typing, yes, typing like mad, very badly, <laughs> very bad. Uh, lots of mistakes and lots of correct. I had to spend a lot of time correcting things, but uh, I could do shorthand pretty well. I wow. could do that. A transferable skill. You never know, Debbie, yeah. if it doesn't work out. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the phone book at the corner of the hall. I'm not in the phone book. That's not what it is. What's it? I'm in the... Alan, is everything okay? I'm in the phone box in the corner of the hall. That's not right either. Well, anyway, I'm glad Debbie's not here. I wish you'd done that for her. I'm sure she would have loved it. What a, what a nutritious and uh, beautiful conversation. Very candid about stuff, you know. I don't feel scared. I never feel scared to ask her anything. I always think it's really interesting that when we talk to people who are legends like her, they actually so confound in a way how you uh, won with their openness and their kind of mm. um, frankness and their sort of down to earthness. Mm. And I think, you know, there's a common thread there that people who are really have d- achieved so much and are, are 
being really authentic and have their own voice are also the people that are still really in in, in touch with and open to yes to to life i think there's a message there for us all um Listeners, please write to us. Tell us what you thought of that trailblazing interview with a trailblazing person. Uh, hello at homosapienspodcast.com. Or you can contact us at, um, at Homo Sapiens on Instagram or Homo Sapiens Podcast on Ye Olde Facebooky. Do you know what? So earlier I brought in a piece of cake to give to my husband with a cup of tea because I'm that kind of person. He uh, left the room and left the cake here and it's been looking at me the entire time. And I'm wondering if I should eat it. Oh, finders keepers. Get your get your gnashers into that. Do you think? But I had a slice already. Oh, well. Well, I'll reveal next week, listeners, uh, whether I did <laughs> go for the cake. It's these, what are they called? Um, cliffhangers is what people... That's keep, cliffhanger. Cliffhangers that keep people coming back. A teaser. Back. Yeah. We're, people are going to be back next week to see if Chris ate the cake. Alan, I thought you said T-shirt just then. Anything more to say on that? <gasps> Oh, if you want to uh, win a T-shirt, you can uh, go to uh, Apple Podcasts and leave a review for Homo Sapiens. Uh, so do that. And you can also buy a T-shirt if you go to like Everard Bath slash shop. Can I just interrupt you? Is it? Sorry. Yeah. My husband's just come in and taken the cake away. <laughs> so that's that. Now he's there. We back go. With the cake. Oh well, nobody's gonna but, nobody's gonna come next week then to listen. They know. Yeah, they know the, exactly. The Cut this, this out. How otherwise we're gonna tank? <laughs> um, yes. So it's not Everard Bars to get a t-shirt. It's everpress.com forward slash Homo Sapiens. There is no other way in the planet of getting hold of it. I shall leave you there, wonderful listeners. See you next week. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Powered by Spirit Studios.